Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Good morning. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful for this school. Um, as I've stretched out my three-year degree into eight and a half, um, I've had so many wonderful professors pour into my life, and um, I wish I could spend my time just thanking each one of you. But, uh, but from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Let's open in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin verse, reading in verse 11 in just a second. But in a couple of weeks, uh, many of us are going to leave this place for the summer at least. Uh, some of us are going to go work at a summer camp. Some are going to go on mission trips. And some of you maybe who are graduating are going to start your first full-time ministry position. And so I thought that maybe as we're sort of closing out this, this, uh, this school year together, uh, it would be a good time for us to stop uh, and ask the question, what's our ministry for? Like, what's the ideal? What, what, what's our ambition pointed at, pointed at as ministers? If, if you could think forward just, you know, to the end of your life and after a lifetime of ministry, just picture it with me, after a lifetime of ministry, if everything goes exactly the way that you hope it will go, what will be the result of that? What will, what will happen? In other words, the big question I want us to address this morning is, what is our ministry for? And I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to address here in Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse 11. Let's read it together down to verse 16. And he gave, he being Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning and your goodness to us. You've given us your word and now we pray by your spirit you'd open our hearts and our minds to hear from it. Change us, God, and show us this morning what our ministry is for. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, um, this is not a message about verse 11, uh, about the, the special ministry gifts that God has given through, through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's also not about the fact that those ministry gifts were given for a purpose, and that's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I, I want us to begin our work this morning in the, in the latter half of verse 12, but just before I do that, I do wanna make a passing comment about those first two verses. Um, 
Paul says that there are certain people who've been gifted with certain spiritual gifts to, to, to be apostles, prophets, you know, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and that their ministry is to equip the saints. And in doing that, what I want you to realize before we get rolling this morning is that Paul does not let anyone off the hook in this thing we call ministry. Everybody is called to ministry. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a seminarian, maybe you have no ambition whatsoever to be a professional minister, whatever that means, um, this message is still for you. Everything that Paul is gonna say to us here in Ephesians chapter four is for every believer. Because if you're a believer, you have a ministry. And that's where we're pointed this morning. And so back to the text here, the apostle Paul says that God gave the apostles, the, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers for what purpose? He says to equip the saints, okay? But for what purpose did he do that? Paul says it was for three different places. Look at it. Verse 12, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, so that we'll reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 15, that we'll grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And so what is our ministry for? According to Ephesians chapter four, our ministry is for the maturing of believers into the likeness of Jesus. That, that's, that's what our ministry's for, it's for the maturing of believers into the likeness of Jesus. So let me ask you a question. When I started out just a second ago and I asked you, if everything goes exactly the way that you hope it will go in this thing called ministry, a lifelong ministry, and once again, this is for everybody, how do you hope it will turn out is the first thing that came to your mind, the idea of maturity. Is the first thing that popped into your head, I, I hope that there's a bunch of people who, who've grown up to look a lot more like Jesus. I hope it was, and probably for, for a lot of us that, that was the case, but the reality is, for most of us, the, the, the idea that the maturity of believers, uh, the idea of the maturity of the believers is not the first thing that pops into our mind. The reality is that our ambition for a successful ministry is oftentimes more affected by the secular business world and by the Christian subculture and even by the Disney Channel than, than we realize it is, right? I mean, it's just sort of Christianized versions of, of reach for the stars and take on the world and you know follow your heart, right? And so the temptation, if we're not careful, when we consider at the question, what is our ministry for, is for our minds to immediately go to the exceptional. You know, great adventures and great crowds that we might draw and, and great programs and great success and all of these things. And let me be clear before I take this thing too far. I mean, I hope that all of you will go out and you will do great things for God. I hope that God's gonna use you to impact the world and to advance the kingdom. I, I hope that many of you will write great books that will influence and advance God's kingdom and reach the lost. I even hope that some of you are gonna live lives in such a way that great books will be written about you. And so what I'm not trying to do this morning is just automatically dismiss the idea of ambition. What I want us to do is for us to chasten that idea with the scripture. Are our ambitions in line with what the script, how the scripture answers this question, what is our ministry for? There's other places in scripture that we could certainly turn to, but the answer here in Ephesians is, is very clear. Once again, our ministry is for the maturing of believers into the likeness 
of Jesus. And so what does that process look like? Um, I think that Paul really divides it down into two different particular things. I think he challenges us first of all to reach unity and then I think he challenges us to grow up. Reach unity and grow up. Let's spend some time on that first one. In what ways does Paul say that we need to reach unity as the body of Christ? Look again at verse 13. He says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And so there's a unity around two things. The body of Christ is matured as they are unified around two things. And that is holding to the same faith and knowing the same Jesus. You get it? Do you see it there? So what's the one faith that we're to unify around? Well, thankfully for three chapters, Paul's already been unpacking that for us, right? I mean, he began in chapter one and he, he marched through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the faith, the one faith that we unify around, wherein God chose us before the foundation of the world. Even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were under the command of Satan, we, we were lost, we were children of wrath. God, in his great love and in his mercy, saved us, he redeemed us. He, he raised us to life, he adopted us as children. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit. And he's now blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And just so that he would get all the glory for this, Paul tells us clearly in Ephesians chapter two that, that, we didn't, that God didn't do any of this because of anything that we brought to the table. Praise his name for his gospel. This is the one faith that we're, that we're being called to here in Ephesians four based upon these other chapters to hold to. And it's the one faith that Paul is telling us that we are to unify around and that what that unification will do is it will bring about maturity in the body of Christ. As ministers, don't ever give up or cease proclaiming. Whether you're a mom here this morning and you're discipling your kids at home, don't cease proclaiming this one truth. If you're a small group leader, if you're, you're a pastor, don't, don't cease proclaiming this one truth, this one gospel. Don't let yourself get off of the, the train tracks of this one gospel. And maybe most importantly, believers individually, don't ever cease proclaiming this one gospel to yourself each and every day. It's what binds us. It's the truth. And as its truths sink deeper down into our hearts and minds, folks, it's what forms us into the image of Jesus. It may be hard for some of you guys to realize this morning uh, th this truth, but over time, your ambitions, your dreams, some of your goals, they're gonna change. You're gonna get bored with some of them. You're gonna refine other ones and God's gonna give you new ones. And so heed a warning from God's word. Don't try to unify Christ's church around your dreams, your goals, or your ambitions, because they're gonna change. That kind of unity can only last perhaps until through your lifetime or maybe to the end of the lifetime of the, the, the movement that you start. 
The kind of unity that Paul's talking about here is, as he said earlier, just a couple of chapters ago, where God has broken down the dividing wall between himself and mankind, and therefore between Jews and Greeks and slaves and those who are free and men and women and rich and poor. And you gotta see the picture he's building up to here in Ephesians chapter four. He's saying, as God has broken down this dividing wall and all of these people from all of these places and all of these backgrounds from, you know, all of these these different uh, you know, races and nations are coming together now into one place, into this thing, this beautiful, majestic thing we call the body of Christ. And they're unifying around this one faith, and it's so much bigger than that because as they do that, as they unify around this one faith, they are picturing for the world the future. They're picturing for the world the new creation wherein all of God's people will be together centered around this one glorious God. You see what's at stake here in us unifying around one faith? And so the church of Jesus Christ must ultimately unify around the one faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the second thing here in verse 13. Look at it again. Until we attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So, so Paul says, don't just hold to the same faith. He says, we also need to know the same Jesus. Uh, we could take this as a restatement of, the, of what he already said, but I don't think that's what Paul's doing here. I think he's taking it to a, deep, a deeper level because now, instead of just talking about ideas, uh, Paul's now talking about a person. I think he's moving beyond the mere recitation of doctrine into the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. This, this knowledge of the Son of God that Paul's talking about it, dare I say it, has an experiential aspect to it. Let me see if I can prove it to you from the, the context itself. If you flip back just a half a page or so to, to chapter three, verse 14, Paul tells us that he's on his knees asking God for something. This is what he says. 314, he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may, catch this, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's really hard to explain away the experience that Paul is on his knees asking God to give these Ephesian believers. And this personal interaction with the Savior is to be the reality around which the church unifies, okay? And that unity is to lead to maturity. It's to bring about the, the growth of believers into the image of the very one that they know and that they love. And so, back to you. Do, do you long for your children for your personal disciples, for your small group members, for, for your congregation to know Jesus like this? Do we as ministers desire to know Christ? So much so that like Paul, we would say, I consider everything else rubbish when compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Sometimes as I look at my own heart, I don't know that I'm there yet. Sometimes I wonder which I'd rather have. Boasting rights um, about having read Calvin or Spurgeon or Keller or Beale. 
boasting rights for having read great works from great men or having been shaped, having my soul shaped in the way that these men have had their souls shaped, which produced the kind of works that they have given to us for our edification. Now, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive, but we can, at least I can, maybe I'm the only one in the room, we can focus so much on on being able to say, I've read this. We forget to say, well, I wanna become like they became. Become the kind of person who knows Jesus in the way that Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter three. This comes to my mind because I realize I'm getting, I sort of get into a point in my life, I know I'm not super old, but starting to make a turn here where I realize that there's only so many hours in a day and I have to learn to to say yes and no to things. And, And I wanna have a good rubric by which to decide how to say yes and no to things. And this is what I want. This is the vision I want in my mind. I don't know that I'm there yet, but this is the vision I want. I think that the great joy after a lifetime of ministry will will not be for me to sit in my office and to look at the books that are on my shelf. I think that the great joy after a lifetime of ministry will be able to think back and to realize by some miracle that there are some people on this earth and in heaven right now who look more like Jesus I can't explain it by his grace because of some small ministry that I did in their life. I get no glory from that. That's a miracle. But that I believe will be the great joy at the end of a lifetime of ministry is to look back and to see people who look more like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let me overstate the point in order to make it. Our ministry is not for the conquering of great tomes. It is for the maturing of believers into the likeness of Jesus. And that begins with us, the ministers, knowing Jesus. Okay, so we've been challenged to reach unity by holding to the same faith and knowing the same Jesus. Second of all, let's look at this idea of growing up. Look again at verse 14 so we can get, get back in the context here. Verse 14, 15, Paul says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. In short, what Paul's saying is here, we need to grow up out of our spiritual childishness. We need to reject deceptive doctrine and we need to speak the truth in love. I hope you don't shy away as a minister, and by minister, once again, I mean anywhere from a dad to a small group leader to a pastor. I hope you don't shy away from teaching your children and your personal disciples and your, and your small group members and your congregation good doctrine. It's for their good, it's for their protection. And just to balance out what I said a second ago about books, you're probably gonna need a few good books to help you do that. I hope you don't shy away from that. Our people need to know how to discern the difference between truth and error. I mean, this day and age, they just need to know that there is a difference between truth and error. And our ministries are for this purpose. 
Thankfully, Paul doesn't just give us a negative warning though here in verse 14. He doesn't just tell us to get a, keep, help them through our ministries to keep away from dece- deceptive doctrine. He also gives us a positive challenge and that challenge is to speak the truth in love. It's one thing for us as ministers to poke fun of Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar from our pulpits or on social media. It's an entirely different matter to by continually doing that sort of thing in our conversations with our children, with our disciples from our pulpits on our Facebook, by continually doing that sort of thing to instill into our disciples, to instill into the people of God this incessant pessimistic sarcasm towards everyone who doesn't think exactly the same way we do or act as we think that they should. In other words, how we use our tongues matter. And it doesn't just matter in that, this is the deception of social media, right? That, that you can get it all instantly, that you can make a change and affect people instantly. But let me tell you, in the broad swath of things, people are, are not just judging your instant tweets, they're, they're judging the whole of your character by what you're saying. And you're discipling people with those words. People are looking up to you through those words. In the words of James, our tongues are a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With them we bless our Lord and Father, and with them we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. If ever we hope that for that stubborn church member or that immature disciple to be conformed to the image of Christ, we would do well to first remember that they are already made in the image of God. And we would do well to learn to listen And as Paul just said a few verses ago in Ephesians chapter four, we do well to be humble and to be gentle and to be patient and to bear with one another in love. People of God, speak the truth. Speak it clearly, be blatant, be right, be direct, be clear, be bold, but be kind. And be gentle whenever you can. Speak the truth, speak it in love. Speaking the truth in love is is one of, whether we realize this or not, I I didn't catch this until I was digging in for this particular sermon. Do do you see what, what Paul's doing here? Speaking the truth in love is actually one of his chosen means of grace to mature the body of Christ. That's how serious, that's how important the way we use our words are. God says, these are not just things we do to be nice and to be part of a nice culture where everybody treats each other nicely. That's That's not what he's getting at here with speaking the truth in love. He's saying, no, this is one of my chosen means of grace to mature my people into my image. You, the minister, speaking the truth in love. So go out and do that. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul closes our passage this morning with an illustration that I think will, will encourage us. If you, if you remember back in verse 14, he says, we the parts of the body are to grow up into the head, into Christ. I wanna introduce you for you guys, my, uh, my little nephew. The guys are gonna throw his picture up on the screen, I hope. Did they not? We good? Oh, there he is, okay. That's, uh, that's Robin Harold Duke. And he was born on January the 29th, 2014, uh, five days early. Uh, he had to stay in the hospital for several days because his little body, his, particularly his lungs, were not 
caught up to the place where he could go home safely. Um, obviously, that they took good care of him in the hospital. This is a pretty recent picture uh, that my brother took. Um, and, and he's doing just fine today, but here's the point. There are parts of his body when he was born that needed to catch up. And in Paul's imagery here, Christ the head, catch this, don't miss it. Christ the head is perfect. He's blameless. He's morally spotless and above reproach. And even now, as Ephesians chapter one in the book said, he said he's resurrected and he's glorified. He's exalted in the heavenlies. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's, Christ is complete. He's fully mature. He's exactly who God made him to be in a perfect life, a perfect death, perfect resurrection in a perfect ministry. He's sitting at the right hand of, the, of God, complete, mature, but the rest of the body has got some catching up to do. Some of the parts are more mature than others, but none of us have caught up to the head and it takes the whole body, verse 16, it takes the whole body joined together and by every joint with which it's equipped whenever every part is working pos uh, uh, properly to cause the body of Christ to grow up so that it will build itself up in love, and it's at this point that we could become, begin to be a little bit discouraged because some of us are sitting in our pew this morning and you're feeling it. You're feeling I'm that part of the body that's got a lot of catching up to do. And that's where I wanna take you back to one word, verse 13, first word of the verse, if you've got the ESV, Paul says, until. That's a beautiful word, whether you realize it or not. Because that word until, does not allow for contingency or even possibility. That word until points us to certainty. Paul says, until we attain to all the things that we've been talking about in other uh, this morning. In other words, though this maturing process seems far from being completed, and like I said, some of you feel that this morning, and though you don't have any idea, we don't have any idea when the maturing of the body is gonna be completed, make no mistake, people of God, it will be completed. You can take heart today, believer. You can take heart today, minister, when you're struggling with that frustrating disciple of yours, right? That though we may be in the muck and the mire this morning, God will finish the work that he began. In his time, in his way, he will complete it. He will sustain us to the end, as First Corinthians says, guiltless. He will present us on the day of Christ Jesus before the presence of his glory with great joy, as Jude says. He will mature the body into his likeness. It cannot fail. Praise his name. So I hope from now on, when somebody asks you, what is your ministry for? I hope that your thoughts won't automatically go to exceptional things. I hope your thoughts will go to normal things. I hope they'll go to an 18 year old who because of God's grace in your life and ministry through you is now getting up a little bit earlier to dive into and feast upon God's word. I hope your mind goes to an 80 year old who you've been pastoring for years, but now they're stuck at home. They can't get out of their chair, but they know they can pray because you preach that to them from God's word. They know they can pray and pray they do faithfully and fervently. 
I hope your mind will go to a family who decides to rearrange their priorities so that they can worship together as a family and they can reach their neighbors with the love of the message of Christ. I hope that you'll get a picture in your mind when people ask you that question from now on of normal people living biblically faithful Christian lives in such a way that your local church, the place that God will send you, reaches unity around one faith and one savior, that it grows up and rejects deceptive doctrine and speaks the truth in love, that ultimately it will begin to build itself up in this love so that it matures into the likeness of Jesus. And I hope that this kind of biblical normality will never become something that you just bear with and get through while you're waiting for the next exciting thing in ministry. Because whether you're discipling your child at home or your plans in a couple of weeks are to go off to some exotic missionary location to serve the lost and reach the nations, the truth is that when the dust settles, when the newness or the excitement calms down in the everyday battle of ministry, this ministry of maturing believers is still what you're going to be doing because that's what your ministry is for. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your goodness to us in Christ Jesus this morning, Lord, that you would condescend to us and you would live the life we cannot, could not live, Lord, and you would die the death that we deserve on our behalf that we might be raised to newness of life with you. Help us to walk in that today. Help us to walk in the joy of normal ministry today, God, for your glory and the good of your people in Christ's name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.